Hey, everybody. This is Patrick, the Chief Monkey and founder of Wall Street Oasis. Just wanted to first off say thank you so much for listening to this podcast. Second, wanted to make sure for any of you in the market for financial modeling training, remind you that Wall Street Oasis does have some incredible financial modeling training courses, including Excel modeling, financial statement through, you know, linking up the three statements, DCF, valuation, M&A, LBO, um, even more niche courses like 13-week cash flow, venture capital course, real estate modeling, you name it. Go ahead and check them out at wallstreetoasis.com slash courses. Thanks for the support. Hello and welcome. I'm Patrick Curtis, your host and chief monkey, and this is the Wall Street Oasis podcast. Join me as I talk to some of the community's most successful and inspirational members to gain valuable insight into different career paths and life in general. Let's get to it. In this episode, Colorado Monkey shares his path from a non-target undergraduate state school to an investment banking role at a top bank. We learn how he was able to suddenly unlock 10 interviews after striking out on his last Super Day early in his junior year, as well as how he was able to take a similar mindset to help him land in private equity less than two years later. This is a long one, but it's also a real fun one. Hope you guys enjoy. Okay, Colorado Monkey, thanks so much for doing this. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me. And for uh, sitting through all the technical little difficulties. We made it. We made it. We've we've started. So um, yeah, give the listeners a short summary of your bio. It'd be great. Yeah, absolutely. Um, originally from Denver, Colorado, um, stayed in state for school. Uh, wanted to be close to home, but was uh, far enough away from the parents that it made sense. Um, went to a non-target school, um, faced a little bit of hurdles trying to get into banking. Wasn't really sure what I wanted to do when I first started in college, but um, just through people that I knew and through some fraternity friends and meeting a couple of people along the way, um, realized that banking was kind of what interested me and um, can dive into that a little bit more as well. And then from there, I joined a middle market bank after I graduated. I interned there as a junior, joined them full time, mm-hmm. um, spent two years um, in one of their uh, coverage groups and uh, industry groups. And now I'm an associate in private equity at a middle market firm. Awesome. So let's start all the way back in undergrad. So you said you went to non-target kind of in Colorado. Tell me a little bit about just when you first, you said things to your fraternity friends. Tell me when, like, was there a specific person or specific time when you were like, oh, investment banking is interesting to me. And what year was that? Was that freshman year, sophomore, junior? Were you late to the game? Yeah. Were you early? Sure. So I think I was, I was definitely early, uh, got very lucky. So the school that I went to had relatively no presence uh, on Wall Street, um, no presence in New York, very little presence in finance in general. Um, so I kind of got lucky in that um, one of my friends had an older brotherhood worked at Goldman Sachs, um, spoke to him about his summer internship, and it, just him telling me about what he did was kind of interesting to me. Uh, I really didn't know what I wanted to do in the first place. I never heard of investment banking before, or at least I'd heard of it, but had no idea what it really was. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was like, I guess, my very early introduction. Um, and then what when I did, do you, do you have, what is your, what do your parents do? Or my father's family? a doctor. Uh-huh. Yeah. My, my father's a doctor, a radiologist. Um, and my mom just stayed at home and, and raised the kids. So mm-hmm. really I had no family members to help me figure out the path. Um, Wall Street Oasis actually was probably my best guide. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, honestly, like it really was as I navigated the process, especially early on. Um, so just him, knowing him initially was my, I guess, like spark of my, my very 
first start into learning about what banking was. And then from there, I started to really make an effort. And um, I mean, as a non-target individual trying to get into banking, it's tough. As I'm sure. But how did you, heard. how did you even like know to talk to the older brother? Like it was just a random thing. It was a good friend of yours from school. And he, his, and how did, how did the older brother get in? Was he at a target or something? So he, so he went to the same school as me. He was three years older. I was a freshman. He was a senior at the time. So he had just finished off his summer internship mm-hmm. um, off his junior year. Um, he was in my fraternity and he was oh. kind of, yeah, and he was, he was almost revered, I think in a way by many of us, just because it's like, he was the guy that made it to New York that made it to Goldman Sachs. You know, like we, we all kind of idolized him and he was a great guy too, on top of that. So um, just hearing his stories, cause he was such an interesting guy. Um, yeah to us at least he seemed so unique um that was just kind of i i, I kind of fell into it i guess it, it was a little bit lucky i know uh, the, the, me, me talking to him had, wasn't intended to have any sort of direction or, or influence in my life but i mean if it wasn't for him i don't i don't know if we'd be talking today was he trying to kind of mentor people did he want to give back to the to the frat and kind of came and talked to you guys like as a general or were you getting a one-on-one time for some reason uh, yeah i think um I think maybe a bit of both. I don't think he was trying to be a mentor, but I think he was happy to do it when he saw the initiative from my end. I mean, just talking to him that first time, there was just, it was a very casual conversation. Mm-hmm. And then like, as things start to develop over the next couple months, cause I was, I was a sophomore at the time um, when all of this started to happen. And uh, by the end of my sophomore year, I was like, I'm, I need to do investment banking. This is what I want to do. I want to get out of Colorado. And I, I love Colorado, but like, I need to get out for a couple of years. I need to come to New York. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, so it was, it was early on. And I think just by me showing that initiative from the get-go early on in my sophomore, he knew I had a chance that I wasn't like some, somebody from in the middle of his senior year trying to be like, Hey, I think I want to do investment banking. And at that point, unfortunately for most people, when they do that, the doors already closed. Um, yeah, no, I mean, for sure. So tell me a little bit about kind of how you went about kind of prepping yourself. So like, freshman year you kind of got introduced or by sophomore year you're like okay this is what i want to do you probably that's probably when you came across wall street oasis i'm guessing around there (laughs) then you're like and then it probably opened your eyes and you're saying oh like i'm behind the eight ball already because i'm not at the right school or whatever but what's your thought process in terms of how you approach it i mean you're an accounting finance major that that's smart right that makes sense so i mean uh, i had the had the the very base level background yeah like finance my gpa was fine i had a three like six three seven but like nothing wow, like this kid's incredibly smart, just very run of the mill. Um, But I knew I had to try and find a way to differentiate myself um, in in a positive way, not being a non-target suit, but trying to find another positive way to actually come across on paper as as an attractive applicant. Um, So I looked for internships in private equity and banking regionally and locally um, at the end of my sophomore year, Um, just hoping that someone would be like, yeah, like you can join us unpaid, whatever, just something to put on my resume. didn't find much luck in Colorado, didn't find much luck in neighboring Mountain West states either, um, but got very lucky in that in the end, um, I had a very close friend whose dad had a connection in Australia at a very small private equity firm. Um, and I got an intern there for about two months, learned pretty much nothing, um, but it was just a good experience to have. I mean, I was so young, I didn't really know what I was doing, um, but it was a, an incredible experience to be in Australia, but B, uh, having that Australia private equity like kind of stamp on your resume that I think allowed me to at least reach out to people and not come across as just some other you know normal standard non-target student. But I found a way to kind of find my 
not my niche, but a, a way to seem a little bit more interesting and in trying to get people to talk to me. Um, cause a lot of my process in my junior year, after I got that internship, when I came back the following year, my entire process was dictated by cold calls, cold calls and cold emails. Um, Talk to me about that internship. I know you didn't learn much, you said, but like you had to go all the way to Australia. Why not? Why were you only looking like initially in in the local area? Why weren't you looking for like internships and in, just because in like New York or the West Coast or something like that? Where I tried. Stuff? I mean, uh, you New did. York. Yeah. I mean, New York was my first goal. So I mean, remember, I'm a sophomore. Um, I don't yeah, have So sophomore is almost impossible, non-target. Like Exactly. Like, yeah, yeah sophomore, non-target, no connections in finance whatsoever. Like father's a doctor don't have like extended family members in the industry. So mm-hmm. like really like could, could not have any more of a disadvantage, I think at least as a sophomore. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, you know, I tried New York, I tried the West coast, I tried Texas, I tried Chicago, like all of your, your main and like second tier investment banking hotspots. Mm-hmm. Um, didn't have any luck. And that's like when I tried to go regional and like these, a lot of the banks. And how are you doing that outreach initially? Like that, were you doing LinkedIn? Well, yeah. Um, sometimes LinkedIn, a lot of emails, a lot of like trying to guess the email convention. So like sending like six or seven different types of emails to the, the same person or seven, seven, the same emails to different email addresses for one individual. Um, and as a sophomore, my hit rate was like almost zero, um, almost zero. And, and I, I knew it. Like I, I read a lot on wall street oasis that, um, that like you're gonna have a lot of roadblocks and like you can't be disheartened by that. Yeah. And like if you want it, like you just gotta be persistent. Looking um, back, do you feel like you could have maybe like your pitch could have been tailored better or something like that? Or do you feel like it's just the it's just the nature of the beast where like you're a sophomore, you're like you have no ties to anywhere, you have no experience in your resume. It's just that's that's how it's gonna be. Uh, yeah, I mean honestly, as a sophomore, I w- I don't think I could have changed anything. Like yeah. given the hands. Do you I feel like if you had known freshman year and started in networking freshman year and like done more phone calls without asking for an internship do you think that may have been able to lead you perhaps yeah i mean I, I, like at the, at the end of the day like even as a sophomore you really don't know much at yeah. least from a medical standpoint like you know like you don't really understand finance still like you only really start to refine that knowledge as you get older um mm-hmm. so like I, yeah maybe like maybe if i had done more outreach like more calling was more cold calling or just like trying to develop my network more yeah maybe that could have helped a little bit and I wouldn't have had to go to the other side of the world to get an internship for two months. It's but it was hard. great. It's hard. I have a, one of my mentees is uh, Grace. She's a freshman at uh, Fordham. Okay. And she, um, we do a, we do a, actually, it's actually a podcast called Monkey to Millions where I mentor three or four kids. It's a different podcast. And yeah. she, she has a huge advantage of being in New York. <laughs> yeah, um, you know, she's still at a non-target, but you know, the number of, she had, a, she had over 180 conversations her freshman year. That's wild. I mean, good for her. Like that's, she, so she, she will be fine. She she's already fine. Set. She already has a, a sophomore internship at city. She's, she, she has, she's getting bites from like Blackstone for like junior summer. Oh, really? All right. So yeah, she's going to be fine just because like she knew early, she planned early freshman year. And so that, that time is a huge advantage because those initial conversations, it's just like getting people on your radar. So then they come across your resume and be like, oh, wait, I know this. I know this girl. I know this guy. That's why, that's why it prompted me to ask the question, do you feel like the low hit rate or the lack of hit rate your sophomore year was maybe, you could have maybe gotten one or two hits or one or two bites had you put in the 100 calls, 100 plus yeah. calls freshman year? Yeah, maybe. And I think, that, I think my junior year is reflective of that. So mm-hmm. my sophomore year, 
have like well, let's, let's talk about the internship actually so you fly out to australia like what's going on here like how do you even <laughs> so so okay a friendly a friend's dad has a connection out there tell me how you even tell yeah. me more specifically what that means okay so he's one of my best friends grew up together in colorado mm-hmm. um he went to school in california um, at, at usc uh, but we remained very close and in touch throughout college and like to this day he, we, we talk almost every day so very close um and his father loved me and he knew i was really trying to break into the industry one way or another and it was just like that one thing where like all it takes is one and like you sometimes don't think that that connection really is going to develop into anything but somehow he's like yeah like, i'm happy to put you in touch with my friend just to talk to him it wasn't even to try and get me an internship but he had one of his good friends in australia who had the small private equity firm very small like 50 million dollar fund mm-hmm. um and he's like just talk to him be a good experience for you just to learn from him if anything mm-hmm. and we connected well um and he offered like it was, it was unpaid but he offered it you know if i want to come out and i want to learn and um just to get a good resume experience i was welcome to and i mean i'm so happy i did and your parents your parents funded you or you you had to take out debt or what <laughs> funded by the parents it was yeah funded by, yeah. yeah but it, awesome. it was a hard sell i mean awesome. convincing my mom and my dad to let me go to Australia on, on the, on the basis that it will be good for my career was a very tough sell. Like they thought I was just going to go there to party for two months and, and have a good time. Um, and, and it was a really great time, but again, like if it wasn't for that, like, I think each step has been incredibly crucial to where I'm at today. Mm-hmm. Um, especially where I started at, but like the, the Australia experience I think was vital into helping me get to that next step, uh, in my junior year. Oh, no doubt. I mean, it's interesting. I think interesting, like what you went to, Australia to do a private equity internship that probably got you enough that probably got you triple the number of interviews you would have had if you had just a nothing on your resume or whatever exactly and it goes back to what I was saying earlier like just trying to find a way to differentiate myself between all the target school kids and all the non-target school kids like my goal was to always try and seem just like a more interesting person someone that you just want to talk to mm-hmm. tell me uh, a bit about uh, opportunities for orphans I saw yeah that. so yeah, yeah. Um, so that, that was done in high school. Um, it carried a little bit through college. My, um, both my parents are originally from South Africa. Mm-hmm. Um, and they immigrated to America in 93 to leave apartheid, but almost all my extended family remained there. Uncles, aunts, grandparents, cousin. Mm-hmm. Um, and because of that, we go back to South Africa back in high school it was twice a year in college it was once a year. And I haven't gone back now for probably since 2018, but Mm-hmm. But despite going back there so often, I had a huge attachment to the country. And um, every time we'd go there, we'd work with this um, NGO called Acumva Labanto. Um, I got involved with them. They basically provide support, financial, um, just education, food, whatever orphans need, but specifically focused on orphans that are afflicted by AIDS. Mm-hmm. So whose parents have died because of AIDS or are unable to provide for them because of the disease. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I got involved with them. Um, we actually got some of my friends involved as well. Um, we actually took a trip down to South Africa in our senior year of high school. Um, and it was a great experience just to be able to give back to the country that, that I grew up loving so much and getting my friends involved in, in a really positive, um, in, in, in a really positive group. Um, and then just by way of like college and like being focused now on my career and like focused on school and having a social life and all my friends and I being a part, it just, it was hard to maintain that momentum and steam. Mm-hmm. Um, so actually, I passed it on to my sister, who tried to carry the torch a little bit as well. She's four years younger than me, um, went to the same high school. And then when she graduated high school, that was pretty much it. 
and um, yeah, it, it kind of it kind of had its own conclusion naturally, uh, but still a fantastic experience. For sure, yeah, that's great. So tell me a little bit about now you're kind of in, you land in Australia. What is it like day to day? I mean, are you partying the whole time you're there? Like, it's okay if you are. I mean, you're a sophomore in college. Yeah. It's expected. No, I mean. I, and like, who when, did you know out there? Did you know anybody? So I had a couple of friends from South Africa. Um, okay. South Africa and Australia, they kind of go back and forth with one another. So a, a lot of people go there quite often. And so I had a couple of friends there. Uh, but no, I mean, for the most part, I was kind of on my own. Um, I had a couple of friends from, from Colorado who were like doing study abroad there or whatever. So I was able to catch up with them. Mm -hmm. So I did my fair share of going out. I don't think like I took it to the extreme. Like my mom was concerned that I might do like being a sophomore in Australia by yourself. But, um, yeah, I I mean, I, I, I got a tour a little bit. I went out a little bit. Um, but at the end of the day, like this trip was focused on, I was focused on still being a good intern. Like I didn't want to go to Australia and then, then regret like two weeks later, like he doesn't show up on time. Like he doesn't do anything. Like I wanted, like I was still very focused on my career. Like the reason why I was really there. Okay. Uh, so tell me how did you, you said you didn't learn much, but like, what did you absorb anything? Did you get some bullets for the resume that so look yeah. good? No, absolutely. I mean, when I say I didn't learn anything or I didn't learn much, that's, I'm definitely exaggerating. Um, mm-hmm. A lot of the work I did was focused on this one project um, focused on this shale area called the Beetaloo Basin. It's like one of the largest shale plays in Australia. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I just did a lot of work on who the key competitors were in that, um, in that shell play. They, it was like very undeveloped, not even proven reserves, like very high level. So like, just like kind of being like an exciting area for, um, to potentially play in. Yep. Uh, and so there was this one business that was looking to, um, start a wellhead there. And this firm was interested in investing in them, uh, the, the firm I was working at. Got it. Um, so I spent most of my time working on that and then just the standard intern admin work as well. I mean, I, you know, I, I tried to learn like actually from an investment perspective, like how P professionals like were looking at certain companies and certain businesses. But like I said, like as a sophomore, like you don't even know what an EBITDA margin is. Like that's still like you, the concept of EBITDA is still over your head. Yeah. Uh, and so just like trying to, like I tried my best and I think they tried their best to mentor me, but like that stuff was just a little bit too, still too high level, like too complex for me. So how did you, when you kind of came back to school, you had that on your resume, how did you kind of approach junior year, summer internship, kind of the, the critical recruiting season? Yeah. Cause it starts early, right? Yeah. I mean, I, I, I know it starts earlier now. I it's think in the summer now. <laughs> yeah. I mean, every year it seems like it starts three or four weeks earlier than it did the prior year. For me, for me, recruitment, my super day, my super day started in November. And I was done with recruiting by the middle of that month. But the interview process had started, I think, in September. So I started networking and cold calling and cold emailing basically the day I got back from Australia, which was like at the end of July. So like And school three, didn't start until August, September? Start, yeah, like late August, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, but really like three months and probably actually more so because I was already starting to email people in Australia and really starting to like build up like literally a Rolodex, like an Excel template. So how many people did you end up in that, in that few month, three month yeah. period, how many people did you reach out to? What was your hit rate? I think it was 420 that I emailed, mm-hmm. cold called. I found almost always cold calling though. I'd say it's like 80, 20. Um, I found that I had a lot more success with the cold calling or with cold emailing than cold calling. And um, so I, I guess I should maybe take a step back. Emailed 
or reached out to 420 people probably had a hit rate of like 10%, um, as in people responding to me, not even like actually right. getting so around, say around 40 people responding to you. Okay. Yeah. 40 people respond, maybe, maybe like closer to 30. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and then that's not horrible. Uh, it's not horrible. No, it's not horrible. I mean, the fact that I could even get a couple of people to respond to a random person yeah. uh, was, was enough of a success for me. Like that gave me. Do you remember moment. what that email said specifically? I mean, it's still in my personal email. I, I could probably pull it up. Um, but it was basically something along the lines of, um, I'm originally from, uh, Denver, Colorado, um, going to the university that I went to and recently completed an internship in private equity in Australia. All right. So I asked Colorado monkey to go check his email, um, from back in that time. So, you, so the listeners can hear what he actually sent out for the one that ended up helping him secure his summer internship. Go ahead. Yeah. So basically start off just by saying, uh, I'm a, um, I'm originally from Denver, Colorado, and I'm currently a junior, um, at my university, double majoring in finance and accounting. Um, and then I say, I worked at a, um, middle market private equity firm focused on energy and mining, um, this past summer. And I'm hoping to continue my experience, um, ideally within investment banking, uh, as that is what currently excites me. Um, I was wondering if you had some time, uh, this Friday, um, to discuss and talk more about how, uh, you were able to break into the industry as you were also from Colorado, um, it would be great to gain any additional insight or advice that you may have and it'd be very beneficial to my recruitment efforts. Uh, I'm sure you're very busy. So if there's an alternative time that works best for you, I'm happy to make myself available. Um, thank you again and look forward to hearing from you. Beautiful. I love it. Yeah. High level. I mean, I'm, I'm sure I, you know why I like that. You know, I like, you know, I like that email. I like that why? email because you you start off real quick summary, real quick summary of what you are and you show your double major accounting finance. So that's like check mark number one. Number two, you layer it with immediately, you worked in private equity already. Another check mark in your name. Number three, you make it personal. You talk about Colorado. Number four, you're humble. You're not trying to like say, you know, actually number four, you give a specific, you suggest a specific time for when you could do it. But you, number five, you stay humble and say, but if that doesn't work, you tell me, cause I know you're super busy. And so there's, there's a lot of good things that you did there. Yeah. And, and so and any I, one of those little elements that isn't there um, could be the difference. Exactly. Between- I, I completely agree. And I, I think what you just said, like I, th- that's, I think that is the point when you're doing these cold emails, like you want to show that you're not just a random person that you've thought about this like if, if I'm, if you are going to take your time out of, sorry, let me turn around from my perspective now, cause I've had people do the exact same thing to me, right. Mm-hmm. When I was thinking, even now today when private equity, if, if I'm going to take the time out of my busy day and help you, or even just talk to you and I don't have to, then ideally a, like, you know, that this is what you want to do. This isn't like a random person who just decided they want to do this the other day. Like hopefully they know that this is a career. They want to do. Mm-hmm. Um, so a, like they're, they're committed to it, but B like, if you can show that you're an interesting person or you have something interesting to offer, it's not just going to be like some generic conversation. Like people are more inclined, I think, to talk to you. Like I always found when I was at, when I was still in banking and I get, I would get tons, you know, 20, 30, 40, 50 emails come recruitment time doing exactly what I did. You don't have the time to talk to all those people. You want to talk to the ones that are most compelling on paper, but also the ones who seem a little bit more interesting, who seem a little bit more unique and not just run of the mill. It may make it personal a little bit. Maybe it's a kid from Colorado. Yeah, yeah. Well, 
if I ever had a, if I ever had a Colorado person reach out to me, I'd always try and make time for them. Always yeah. have to pay forward there. <laughs> That's cool, man. No, thank you for sharing that. Cause I think it's important for people to see like the little nuanced, um, things that you did. So, so that email turned out, tell me, tell us, tell us what was the conclusion. So that email turned out to yeah. be someone, was that person an analyst and associate? What was, who were they? Yeah. So, so I guess not, go, not what was their name, but who were they like in terms of the, right. the organization yeah, and how so, to help you land a position? Sure. Sure. So, um, so just going back a sec, emailed a ton of people, had about 30, 40 people respond, had from there a couple of interviews that developed from those introductions. Um, did well in some of them. Sometimes I made it to super days, didn't get the offer. Um, and it was just a learning process. I got better with my cold emails, my cold calls, my, my interviews itself. And then it got to a point where like, I don't know if like, it's actually going to work out. Like I almost got to the end of my road um, just because I was running out of people and time. And so then I sent that email. Cause that this, is, this is November. This is November ish time. I, this, that, email, that email was mid September. So by mid September, you're already thinking, man, this is not good. I've already made it to a couple final rounds. I struck out. Why do you, why do you think you didn't get the offers when you made it to super days and how, how, so you said 30, uh, sorry, 420 emails turned into say 30, 35 uh, responses turned into a few, two to three interview processes, first rounds, five yeah, interviews. I think it was maybe. So, so this is the thing. So yeah, up until this last email that, that we're about to discuss, I probably had maybe done two or three interviews. Yeah. Like first round, but then first, first rounds, sometimes I, I think, yeah, all first rounds. And then two of those three developed into like later stage, like second or third rounds. And then one of those was a super day. Okay. So great. So tell me about like the one you made it all the way to the super day. What you would, anything looking back, man, I wish I had done this, prepare more technical, prepare more behavioral. My story wasn't good enough. Are you nailed it? It just, it was more like you're up against just crazy. Yeah. Competition. I think the latter. Um, and that's perhaps the most frustrating part about these interviews sometimes is that you walk away being like, I know I did really well, but you know that probably a lot of other kids did too. There's nothing that you can change about what you did, right? Sometimes you connect with people more. Sometimes it's not the perfect answer. Sometimes it's not it, whatever it is. But looking back, obviously my first couple of interviews, I shut the bed because I just- Because that's just what everyone what does. <laughs> exactly. It's a learning process. But by the, by the third one, I'm surprised you made it all the way to the super day if you felt like, like that was enough to wake you up that for those first couple of interviews? Yeah. I mean, but by the super day, yeah, like I was good to go. Cause I'd done so many practice interviews and mock interviews. Some of them with like my friend's brother that I mentioned earlier. Huge. At the beginning. Um, so he was, he was, and has continued to be to this day, a great resource for me as, as I've developed through this process as a student, as a but so you still, team. you still kind of in your first few interviews, you didn't do well, even with all those mocks under your belt. I did fine. I mean, the first interview, no, I did really bad. But I was just a little bit nervous and scared, I think, just because it was like my first real one. Yeah. By the super day, I thought I did well. Like, to say I was surprised that I didn't get an offer is probably not accurate. But like, but when I didn't, I think that was probably the hardest part about it is like, I, I thought that I, I was hopeful that I would get it, but I didn't know why it didn't. You perform well. You knew you perform well. It was just more probably like the pedigree. There's pro another kid with better pedigree that probably exactly. performed about the same. Exactly. Exactly. And, and there's, yeah. and that, and there's nothing you can do. You, you can't control that. Yeah. It's disheartening, but it is what it is, but it, it worked out in the end. So from there, I was like starting to like, be like, I really don't know if I'm going to get a job in banking. Like this is really tough and I'll keep pushing, but I just may not have time. So then I sent that email. And so that individual was a partner at, and is a partner at the middle market private equity firm in New York. 
a very reputable one, well known. Um, and you who, said to him, you'd rather go into investment banking. Yeah. Yeah. Because I figured, like, I'm not jumping into private equity from the get go. I wasn't even sure private equity was what I wanted to do. Like, I just need to try and break down the door in every way and be honest, like, tell him what my intentions are, which is just to try and to get into banking. Mm-hmm. Um, and whatever else happens after that, you know, we'll figure it out. Did this but person, this at, partner, at did, did he or she have a banking background as well? Yeah, he had done banking, but so he was a partner, but he had done banking back in like the, the 90s. Okay, good. Uh, but so, but as a partner though, at this, at this firm, um, and he covered the industrial sector um, for, for his shop, he had contacts at literally every single bank, like every MD who cover, every financial sponsors MD at like every major bulge bracket and boutique and middle market firm he was friends with and like had constant connections with and constant contact. Yeah. And for whatever reason, he liked me enough to help me out. And that blew the door. But let's talk, but let's talk about that for a second. So, um, because I think that's interesting. So first off, how did you even find this person? So he was from Colorado. Um, so, and (laughs) how did you find him? LinkedIn? LinkedIn. Yeah. LinkedIn. I mean, scouring LinkedIn, you, like you find every, like, I'm pretty sure I have heard of every single person from Colorado who's currently in finance in New York today at this point. Like I've at least like a name that I would recognize. Um, and so I just reached out to him the same thing, like guessing email convention and trying to figure out like what the, what the email format was for that firm. And, um, it worked and it landed and I was able to get in contact with him, um, through that email. And, and so he's like, yeah. oh, I'll set up a time with my assistant or whatever. And like, you got, yeah. <laughs> you got on the phone and then what was that phone call? Like at this point, you kind of had already felt like you were maybe near the end of your rope anyways, um, with your yeah. timing and all this stuff. So like, cause processes, you know, you've already been through a super day. So processes are wrapping up. Like you're not even in first round. You're thinking yeah. I'm done. So what do you, is it, are you going into this with really thinking, this is my last shot. Are you going to this with like, Hey, let me just see what, what happens. I got to keep trying. Yeah. No, I mean, exactly that. It's like, I'm not going to stop. Like I've done it this far. Like I went to the other side of the world. I've been spending three months trying to email and call people and do all these interviews and like tearing my hair out and like stressing myself over this, like prioritizing this over my actual exams and schoolwork. Yeah. Uh, like I'm not going to stop until like, I literally can't do this anymore. And I, of all the people that I had reached out to and like spoken with, I thought this was probably the least likely to actually have any effect because he's not in banking. He's a lot older and there's no reason for him to really have to help me want to help me. Mm-hmm. Um, but there was a strong connection and um, he became a little bit, not want to call him a mentor, but a great person just to run everything by to this day. Like whenever I've, I've made a career switch. Or like, well, tell me about that first call though. Do you get on the phone call? Yeah, what, what, sure. what helped you establish that connection? Do you feel like? And what was that call like? I think, so I think what established that connection, I think was, A, we're both from Colorado. And I think the fact, I think, I don't know what it was like for him, his recruitment process back in you know the 90s and the 80s, but I think the challenges that I was facing um, as a non-target student mm-hmm. resonated with him. Yeah. And, and so and you, he, were stri- you were straight. You were like, hey, I made a super day, didn't get it. I thought I performed yeah. well. And what else? What like tell me how you tell me how you like leveled with him or like how open you were and yeah. So I I told him everything that I had done summer, all my efforts that I had taken that I had taken on so far, the interviews I had done, Super Day, that 
I told him like straight up, you know, I, I know I'm prepared. I know I did well. It just didn't work out. And I think he understood that. Um, and I told him that like, this is something that I really want to do. Um, I, like, I really want to do banking uh, for X, Y, and Z reason. And I really want to try and be in New York. I think this is what I really want for the long term. And at the time, I, I was very open to that potentially being a long term regret. Mm-hmm. I wasn't set on private equity. Yep. And, and I, I think he appreciated the, the candor. Um, I think we just got along well. And I think he appreciated just the familiarity that we had with a lot of the, the points of connection, the, the small ones and the bigger ones. So how did that uh, first call end? So <laughs> that's a good question. So <clears throat> I was planning on being in New York. Um, we were doing like a Wall Street trek with my school, but like it, it was already way too late to like have any effect. Like, I don't know why we actually had it in the first place, but we were going to be in New York. I told him that it was a week later that we were going to be there. And he's like, yeah, well, just swing by my office. And then I coordinated with his assistant. We set up a time to meet that following. So like so many things had to occur that like, that I got so lucky with, like, it's a matter of like being persistent, but also being very lucky, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So tell me and, how, so you ended up, you still didn't have after that first call and the week later, the trip, you didn't have any other like interviews lined up, nothing. Yeah. So, so that's first week of September, second week of September, we meet. Okay. And we have a face-to-face conversation. We have lunch in his office. Like we're sitting in the boardroom. It's this long table. Um, and again, like just great conversation, not even focused so much like on what do you want to do? Why do you want to do banking? It's more of just like literally let's get to know each other a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and then left that meeting feeling good about it, hoping that he would set me up with some of his contacts. He said, yeah, I'll, I'll introduce you to a couple of people. I think you might be a good fit at X, Y, and Z bank. Um, and what he meant by that is that he was literally going to email every single person uh, in his financial sponsors or that, that covers financial sponsors within like his 15 banks. And I got interviews at like 10 or 12 different places, ranging from Barclays to <laughs> Green Hill, like places that like I could only like. like jackpot, and, jackpot. Yeah, dream about interviewing at um, that, I, that I thought were not even possible. And, and that caliber, th- those interviews were another caliber. Like they were another level. But for, uh, wait, but wait, before you even go there, do you, did you see the emails that he, did he CC you on these outreach emails? Yeah, I can try and pull it up. Let me see if I can pull right, it I'm going to hit pause again. You try to pull it up. All right. So we found the emails, the famous emails. So yeah, go ahead and let's see what he said about you. Yeah. So it's, uh, it looks like it's pretty, pretty generic. Nothing nothing too insane but okay so per our conversation um i am copying me um and attaching his resume in the hopes that you two can connect uh he's very interested he's very interested in a summer investment banking internship and we would both appreciate your assistance in helping him navigate the process at x y or z bank and this is what he sent to so many places i like i'm looking at it right now like i'm seeing bmo goldman barclays like all these places that you, months, a, you get a yeah. partner at a private equity shop to basically vouch for you and send to all his contacts at 20 ish banks. Yeah. Like, Hey, give it, get this kid in the process. Exactly. And you like, it was like a cheat code. Yeah. I, I, I pretty much jumped the entire line, like no more coffee chats, no more informational interviews. Like there's something in, there's something there, man. Like if you can, I mean, tell me about the, the background because I guess a lot of private equity partners or manager or whatever, senior people at PE firms, the banks, the bankers will jump when they say jump. Yeah. 
right? Because they're, they're bringing him so much business. So like this guy sends out 20 emails to all his contacts. Those, those bankers, they're going to get you in the process. Yeah. I, like, I mean, you, I pretty much backdoored it. Like I went the other way yeah. in a sense, like rather than trying to talk to the juniors and like the analysts and the associates to get an interview, I went not even to the MDs. I went to the, to the guy that the MDs Which is- served. Which is a really kind of, it, it's rare because what I'll say is usually the way it works is you want to get in good with the analysts because the analysts, the analysts are the ones picking the resumes. Like you want them to pick your resume out and put it in the interview pile. I think just a matter of desperation and luck and persistence. Like that's what it was like, because yeah. he was, he was the very last of the people that I emailed. Cause I had like exactly what we just said. Like I had emailed younger people, VPs, juniors, you know, analysts, associates, whatever. Um, hoping that like I could find a connection there, mm-hmm. but the strongest one was with the old guy who hadn't been in banking for you know almost thirty years. Uh, oh, interesting. So yeah, so tell me a little bit about um all these processes and how it worked out. So you were suddenly, I mean, weren't some of these already wrapping up? Yeah. So I was already late to about half of them, but okay. they were like able to get me in, whatever that means. But like, yeah, I basically did phone interviews cross the board with every single one of them. All of them went well. Like, cause at this point now I'm kind of a season. And at, yeah. At this point, think of all the reps you're getting at real interviews. Exactly. So you become a machine. Exactly. Yeah. So, and like, these are backed like every day, sometimes two, two different interviews a day. Like, because I've got all of these interviews now. How did you I'm not like, fail out of school? Yeah. How did you, were you doing with school? Like a problem? I, I literally got a D on my midterm and my, my, uh, for one of my final accounting classes because I did zero studying. Yeah. So I, like I said, I prioritized this. Yeah. And I was willing to like bite the bullet and whatever, get a shitty grade on midterm yeah. with the long-term prospect of getting an internship. Yeah. Okay. So tell me a little bit about um, specifically how those interviews went. If you remember like which banks you interviewed with. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, I, I remember some of them very well because they were... It was, so it, the, the very first couple of interviews on the phone, all of them are great, like more informational, um, very easy to connect. They're always junior guys. So like very easy to, to connect with one another. Recent mm-hmm. college guys. Um, the second round interviews for some places were fine. They got a little bit harder, a little bit more focused on technicals. I remember one interview at Green Hill was a nightmare. <laughs> it was like so theoretical and just a very tough case study basically it was like ask i don't remember exa- exactly what the case entailed but mm-hmm. it involved suitcases and an airport and like trying to figure out like like estimate um oh, it was a count it was a it was basically a consulting interview with a sizing yeah, question exactly yeah, exactly yeah. Okay. sizing operational efficiencies like it was everything below into one of stuff that i was not prepared for okay and and i walked away from that being like shit okay i, I really got to tie it up and because i a, at this point i don't have many cards to play i don't have many more chips left to use and i don't want to embarrass my contact and make yeah. him look bad yeah um and so i would already done well in the first and second round interviews for some of those places but then after that i was like all right i really need to turn this up a notch and like i just i i studied as hard as i could for like those next couple days and refined my story figured out like areas that i could work and improve on and Honestly, like the marginal improvement was probably minimal, mm-hmm. uh, but I felt very good going into the remaining, into the remainders of those interviews. So like there was Green Hill, there was BMO, there was Evercore, there was Barclays, 
Bamel, Deutsche Bank, Jeffries, um, and then a couple other ones. Wow. Uh, Harry Williams. Yeah. So like, just like, like literally like every single bank that like I could have wanted to interview at, I got a shot at. And a week prior to that, I had zero prospects. Like it was just two ends of the Insane. So, okay. So you're, you're doing all these first rounds out of, so it sounds like you did like 12 first rounds suddenly. Maybe a little less, maybe like 10. Yeah. But 10. Was, okay. And then how many of those kind of turned into second rounds? So or super days? almost, I think all of them turned into second rounds. And wow. then, and then like from there, like I would have like third rounds and start to drop out, but still like, I probably had like a 70 or 60% hit rate getting to the super days. Um, and so some, but fortunately for me, it's some of these super days, I don't know if it was cause they had a separate process for non-target kids. Cause all these banks have on campus. They were recruiting. later. They were later. They were all later. And so I was able to like sneak into the process that way. Um, and one of the banks that I knew I had done well at, I was kind of expecting to get a super day. Uh, had it in the, like, I think it was like November 10th, like between the first and second week of November ahead of a couple other banks. Oh, they're I, trying to, they're trying to jump ship and grab the best non-targets. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Smart. And, um, and I interviewed there. I actually didn't think I did well on my super day. Um, I actually thought it was fine, but I didn't think I, I had come out of other super days and other interviews feeling a lot better. Yeah. Like that first one, that first one that I did where I didn't get an offer. Um, but for whatever reason, I think I connected a lot with uh, some of the MDs mm-hmm. um, that I interviewed with because I think I interviewed with eight different people that day in my super day, ranging from analysts to managing directors. And I think one of those guys was a heavy hitter in the um, healthcare group. Mm-hmm. And um, I connected well with some of them. And the following day, I got an offer and I canceled all my flights back to New York, all my super days that I had scheduled. Some of them, one of them was at BAML, the other one was at Deutsche Bank. Like mm. I was just so done with the process at that point and ha- very, very happy with the offer that I had from the other firm that um, had gone a little bit earlier. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I just accepted it on the spot over the phone, um, signed the contract the next day for my internship offer. And um, awesome. it, was, it was a long process. And, and I'm sure you sent an email Oh yeah. Effusively thanking. <laughs> I called him. I yeah. called him directly and he, he was in a meeting. Um, and then I sent him an email and then we caught up the following, uh, following evening and he was pumped. And, um, I remember just that feeling I, I walked out of my, one of my finance classes and like, like, I, like I felt like I'd gone into college again, like, like your, your, your dream. Yeah, yeah. Like that's what it felt like. Just like a absolute weight off your shoulders. Like all of the effort that you've put in for, me months but you know like in high school years or whatever you want to call it like it, it was like honestly like one of the best feelings i've had in my life just because mm-hmm. there was so much stress and anguish that had gone into it yeah so much concern that like i don't think this is going to work and then for all of it to just come together within the span of two weeks tell me about like some people in that seat wouldn't have accepted right off the bat was there an exploding deadline where they knew like hey you're going back for these all these other processes no i had a week to accept um, so why cancel all the other stuff? Just because you're like, man, I cannot leave school again and go to New York again. Yeah, was, there, there were a couple of things. A, yeah, I was very tired of flying up and down to New York. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was the first thing. The second thing is, um, I, I was like genuinely just happy with y'all. Like this was like a top bank that I wanted to work at. It was a great bank. Work. Yep, yep. Um, and then um, the third is, I just I didn't I didn't want to make the people that had referred me look bad because now I've got the partner the private equity firm, I've got 
senior guys at the bank through the partner who are pushing my resume forward. Yeah. I've got guys from the interviews that are pushing for me. Yeah. Um, and I just, I didn't want to start my internship off with like HR being like, all right, well, this guy's taking a week to respond. Yeah. Like, that just doesn't look good. Yeah. You wanted to be just like, let's do it. Let's go. Yeah. And like, and I spoke to my parents about it too, and they don't know anything about finance, but like my dad had a good point. He's like, you're not going to learn anything else about these banks. Like, like you might be at a better bank, like name wise, like, more, like a, like a slightly better place, but like, yeah. there's, there's no difference. And so I just figured like, this is easier. It'll be better for me. Like just in terms take of it. Like, process, just take it, be happy yeah. with it. Good for you. Mission accomplished. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I think there's some people that are always thinking, okay, now what can I leverage it? How can I trade it? Yeah. And I know a lot of people that did that, uh, not in the interview process, but like after our internship, mm-hmm. who like try to look at the grass screen or some of them were happy with their decision. I know lots of people who regret that choice because they developed these strong relationships in the internship class mm-hmm. and came into the other class, came into the new bank without having no, ha- without having known the interns. And like, they didn't have that same camaraderie and rapport that some of us had um, so- after Let's it's, you know, this podcast has been going pretty long. I don't want to keep it too much longer, but just real quick, let's talk to me a little bit about what that internship was like hours wise. Did you learn a ton, uh, ramping up all that stuff? Just give a quick synopsis of that. And then tell me a little bit about how you knew you had the offer and then the idea of, okay, I'm just going to stick with this, this bank. And cause I do want to get to a little bit of private equity too, eventually. Sure. Um, so hours brutal, um, knew that going into it, but 90 really, plus a week or 100 plus? 100. I would say 100 as an 100. Inch. Not the first week, but after that. First and last week were fine, but that eight weeks period was just like nonstop going. And it wasn't just me, it was a lot of us. We'd always be in the office till two or three and back in by eight or nine because you don't want to show up late as an intern. Yeah. Um, but in, in an essence, that was good because it prepared us for our analyst, our full time analyst program, which was just as bad, if not worse, um, hours wise, but learned a ton. And made some really great connections with my intern class and some of the analysts and, and full-time associates too. Um, the bank I was at, they it's not rotational, but it's a generalist program. So like you're not siloed into any specific group. So you get to learn a little bit about healthcare, a little bit about industrials, about technology, MA, whatever. Um, and so like I got that? an experience. Did you like that? I did. I did. I, rather than being forced to just choose a group on like some arbitrary view of an industry or like right. prestige, I got to really experience what I liked the most. And, um, it was a great fit for me. Like in my, I went to that same group or I got to experience many different groups. There was one group that I really liked in my internship program. And I ended up going into that group full time the following year. And it was a great experience. Like, again, really tough, but the connect, the, the, some of my friends from, from that, experience in banking are my best friends today. Like I see them every weekend, even though we're all at different shops now. Mm-hmm. Tell me a little bit about like the decision to start recruiting for private equity when that happened and why wouldn't, if you felt like you were learning a ton, I'm, is, is it more just a lifestyle thing? Do you feel like the bank is, makes a mistake by pushing people so hard? Like should they have hired five more analysts, 20 more analysts so that it's more of like an 80 hour work week and potentially the attrition wouldn't be as so high to, to PE? What's your thought process on that? Yeah, you know, and I go back and forth on it. My views changed a little bit since I left. I think at the end of the day, banking analysts are viewed by banks as cheap labor because you are like yep. on an hourly basis, you are you are cheap labor, um, and you're competent and you're willing to work hard. You're hungry, and they know that. I think that the nature of banking and it, it varies at different banks for sure, but the nature of banking is that there will always be work to be done. Like you can turn a document, you can turn a pitch deck, you can turn a sim, turn a model. 
50, 60 times and it will never be perfect. Mm-hmm. And that's the part that I think makes the hours really tough. It's not like, oh, like I've got eight deals. And that sometimes is the case. But for me, it was in like, like eight or seven deals I'm trying to balance. It's like, like they're just constant comments and edits of refining and tweaking everything. And like when one thing is done, there's another thing to do. And I don't think that having multiple, like more bodies, more analysts would necessarily help with that, maybe a little bit. But I think it's just something that's much more inherent the culture of the industry where it's just like we're going to yeah. work hard and we're going to try and perfect it but it will never be perfect well i know that a lot of the bulge brackets are getting some pushback on that now and they are trying to yeah. put in some policies that have like an occasional protected weekend everyone protected weekend per month or like pencils down on friday into saturday and the the at least the analysts are saying it's somewhat enforced i mean we had that too we have oh you did the still has that yeah and I mean, it didn't it didn't work no, because the thing is, at the end of the day, someone has to enforce it. Yeah. It's not typically HR, and it's not the group head because they don't care. Um, <laughs> so it's, it's like some VP who's like trying to like balance work life and culture and like trying to help the group. But at the end of the day, if you've got three MDs saying like, "No, my analysts are working today," you're the VP trying to push back against them. Like, it doesn't really work. Um, mm-hmm. It's it, it needs to come all the way from the top. Yeah, and it typically doesn't. Usually, like mid level managers interesting um, yeah so so, so tell me about like what did you know about private equity you had the private equity internship obviously but like yeah. had you learned what EBITDA margin was at this point <laughs> i'm still trying to figure it out today no, yeah. <laughs> I, it out. No, I mean um so i came into banking open mind knowing how tough it is yeah uh, in the internship and coming out of the internship knowing that it really is brutal and that this probably isn't sustainable um career choice for the long term Mm-hmm. But that I can do it for a couple of years, not a problem. Um, but still came in with an open mind, even as a full-time analyst. Within six months, I knew that this was definitely not the case. I wanted to try and, and I wanted to try and interview in my first year, um, like most kids do, like for like the rush to the the mega funds and mm-hmm. and, and do and do on cycle recruitment. Yeah, I mean six I, months six months in, it's kind of like it had things already kicked off. I think it was already too late, or no, it was kind of just starting. Started. Started in December. Yeah. Like th- this is when like things were normal, but not really. Um, yeah. Now it's like September, August, but like before you even hit the desk, but I, I, I was a couple months into the job and I just didn't feel ready. Um, I didn't like, you need to talk about your deals in private equity and or, like, in, during private equity interviews. And I just didn't have like enough substance. I had some pitches and I had a deal where I was like the second analyst, but I didn't have enough, like where I could like really talk about, anything like asking any question i know this deal back to front i didn't yeah. have until my first year or until my first year was over um and then at that point that's when i really hit it hard and i met with all the headhunters so you wanted to interview the first year but you decided against it or like what was the thought process were you getting hit hit up by recruiters and saying not this year so i was getting hit up by headhunters and i met with all of them and i tried doing one or two interviews um at just like just standard middle market firms reputable places but not anywhere like i need to be at this place yeah and i just is like like they, they would just like ask me things about deals that i should know and that i just couldn't answer yeah um, you needed the deal cheat sheets from uh, the the private equity interview course from uh, wsl <laughs> you should have structured your entire what's that i highly recommend that all your listeners and users get that because i i did oh you it's, did okay good yeah i mean yeah we all me, me and all my analysts, we, all my analysts and I, we, we, we leverage Wall Street Oasis throughout banking and before. And I've, 
I don't know. I haven't been on there in a little while now, but it, it was a definitely a helpful resource even in the, the dark days. Of yeah, the, I mean, you have the modeling test. You have the the LBO modeling test, which are part of some processes. But I think people underestimate the importance of being able to speak about your deals and know every single number behind them and know the story and know how you'd look at it as an investment. I think that's so that's that's really the meat. Absolutely. Like I mean, you have to have the modeling and the LBO modeling. You got to be be able to sit down in a room and build an LBO model in, in forty five minutes to an hour. But like, really, like what what impresses people is if you can talk about the meat, like the deal i mean your model is chuck the box no one's going to hire you off the model if you, if you mess up the model you're not moving on but you're not getting hired off the model it's your your deal walkthrough it's who you are just culturally like yeah people always say it on on websites but like yeah like the cultural fit within a private equity firm is so important just because it's a smaller environment mm -hmm. and that's not something you can control and again it's a disheartening experience like no, knowing that you crush an interview you do well on the model, you do well on your deal walkthroughs. Cause again, this happened to me where like I interviewed at six or seven different places. And this time, like knowing I did really well, this is now my second year. Yeah. Like, yeah. Knowing I've done well in all these interviews and just like not getting the return off, like, like thinking like, Oh, I'm best friends. Like there's a little bit of prestige, like, yeah. um, like, Oh, he didn't go to a target school. He's not like us kind of thing going on in, in private equity. I think it, it differs at firms. I think that neck and neck, like everything else equal, they're going to go with the kid from Princeton who has, yeah, who has, especially if there's like a strong alma mater at that private equity. So if you have a couple of Princeton guys, because there are hardly any people from Colorado in private equity, let alone bank, the, the amount of people that make it to private equity is like almost zero. Yeah. Um, there, there's probably 10 of us that I can. The top that that guy that was in your frat that was a, that had done a Goldman internship did he make it to private equity did he go yeah yeah and he, he got a, it went to a great shop good for him good for yeah him. and he, he's a VP now so he he's done really well for himself and he continues to be a great resource That's today awesome. I, I haven't spoken to him in a while but yeah I, I think doing really so well. tell me yeah so you you it sounds like you had a handful of five to seven private equity interview processes that were set up through recruiters in your second year you you bombed a little bit in the first year you said okay hit the pause did you did you decide to do that or the recruiters are like it's probably best i decided i, decided. I could tell after my second one this is a waste of time i'm just burning my ships with recruiters and firms like and so you, how did you communicate that to recruiters that's interesting that you you know i've had other interviews where people ended up getting a, an offer in private equity taking it and then they they've actually said to me on the podcast like just like this conversation they're like i actually regret uh, recruiting my first year because i feel like i could have really crushed it my second year it's yeah. interesting that you say that as well. Yeah, I, I know people who did recruit their first year and some of them were happy, some of them really regretted. Um, I think, so for, for me though, when I communicated that to recruiters, I mean, I figured that they already knew that I didn't do well in these interviews. Like, I'm sure, I, I figured that the private equity firms had told them that, yeah, you know, like we don't want X, Y, and Z candidate. Like this candidate really didn't do well. Maybe there wasn't that much color and detail around my mm -hmm. performance specifically, but just bowing out in the first round, like as an absolute no, two times. Like I just, I knew that it, it wasn't going to work. So I told him like, I was very upfront and honest that I think I just need more time. Like it's early on. We're only a couple months into the job. I just need more time to uh, learn a little bit more about what I really want to do. The private equity is definitely the route I want to take and just get a little bit more experience on the job before I try and leave one, one spot that I've been in for less than six months, like looking two years ahead. Um, and okay. I think people appreciate it. I think everyone recognizes how insane this timeline is now. Yeah. So tell me how you kind of approach the second year or, or tell me the numbers. So 
uh, what, 10 inter- first round interviews when you're like, okay, I'm ready. And this one probably went off in like what, November or August, September? Uh, November. Yeah. November. Uh, Thanksgiving. Yeah. Was that the one? That was the year right before Thanksgiving? Yeah. Uh, the one the right one after Thanksgiving, one right before Thanksgiving was. 2019, 18. Sorry. The one, one right before Thanksgiving is the year I recruited, but I didn't do on cycle. So okay. I was figuring it out. So I like when, when everything happened, that's when I knew it was like, I am going to recruit, but I wasn't ready to like start recruiting for all the mega funds and all the on cycle places. So like, why not? Why not? Right. Yeah. Um, no, why, why, why did you say you weren't uh, ready? I think, well, I think no one expected things to begin when they did. Yeah. It caught us all off by surprise. Yeah. Uh, and think that because of that, and I, in my head, I was already, I already knew that I was going to recruit, but because I think A, caught us off by surprise, but then B, like, I didn't want to be at the sweatshop that I had been in um, yep. at the bank. I was at. Like I wanted to find a place that was smaller, not even in terms of like AUM. Like I, I, I never really cared about like what size the, this middle market firm was versus that or like mega fund. But like when you're at larger firms, they just have processes that make things more difficult for work-life balance. Yep. They've got more portfolio companies. You've got more people that you got to manage. Um, and I just knew like at being at a larger firm, like I was never going to get the quality of life that I wanted, yeah. the quality of life balance that I wanted. Whereas I could definitely achieve that at, at a solid middle market sized firm with like a smaller team mm-hmm. and investing in companies that I dealt with on a more common basis too. Like it, it just wasn't as appealing to me to be at a larger firm and try and push myself to get into a spot where I may regret it two years later down the road. Fair. I think it's also tough to, if you're working with middle market, like if you're not the large bolt bracket banks at certain firms, it's actually really hard to even get those jobs <laughs> in the first place. But yeah, so okay, so you're you're kind of start the recruiting process. Tell me, but it, you're kind of off cycle. Um, when did you start January? You're uh, with the recruiting process. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Like I would say, even a little bit before that. Like I was already December. talking to places like December. Okay, and so tell me how that went, um, and just a little bit, and then we'll wrap it up. Yeah, for sure. Um, so at this point, like I've like I'm already a year and a half into banking. I know private equity is what I want to do. Um, I'm getting a lot of interviews much easier than I had encountered as a junior in college now. Cause at this point like, I've got banking. Right. It's a lot easier to break down the door. Um, some of them through, were through headhunters. Some of them were through people that I had known in the industry at this point. Um, so kind of just touching all my bases and did well in every single one of them made it to the super days in almost all of them, like 70, 75, 80%. Wow. And um, every single time, up until almost at the end where I got my offer almost every single time. It was like, you did really well, but we took someone else. You did really well, but they liked this kid a little bit. You did really well, but they had this kid had better back. Like just one reason or one excuse to like not get it. But like, like I remember there was this one firm, all the analysts in my class, we interviewed at it's a really, and it was a really, really solid middle market product, like top notch, great work-life balance, great, track record like everything that you would want really as your next gig mm-hmm. we all interviewed there i was the only person that made it to the super day from our bank i have like 60 people there were like three or four people left they were going to take two and i just there was someone that beat me out and you just couldn't convert it oh at the end that's so frustrating and and that's the reality that i think a lot of people 
not everyone, but I think a lot of people do face is like, they do really well. They're very well pedigreed at this point. They have great experience. They're really smart. They, they fit well into the firm, like everything that you need, but there's like someone needs them out a little bit. Um, and it's just persistence again, like kind of like the banking thing. This is persistence too. And eventually if you want it, in my opinion, if you want it that badly, one of them will eventually land. Um, and so it was after, I think like my ninth or 10th interview, and I was interviewing primarily in New York, but sometime a couple of the firms I was talking to were in LA because I was toying with the idea of going West coast. I have a lot of friends. there just being from Colorado. Yeah. And, um, it was the same deal. Like New York, LA didn't even matter. I was encountering, I was, I was going through the exact same, um, challenges and speed bumps, but eventually one worked out. Um, and it's been an incredible experience. It, I'm happy that I waited that first year to recruit. Um, cause awesome. I would hate to that I, that I'm not fun. They're not having a good time right now. Yeah. That's awesome, man. I love your story. I think it's, it's great. Before, before we call it any last words of wisdom, anything any kind of pep talk or motivational <laughs> words for the, the kids out there. Yeah. I'm mean, listening to this. Cause we have a big swath of non-targets. Okay. Yeah. Day, so. I, like, I think, I think my story hopefully connects with people. Like I didn't have the four O right. Like I had a good GPA, but not a great one. I went to a non-target state school. Like, like I think my, my, my case is what a lot of people go through and the challenges that I faced almost pushed me to the end where I, I didn't make it to New York or banking. But I think it's just a, it's a good story of just showing like it's persistence. And if you want it that badly and you put in the effort, like if you're willing to take a D on a midterm to, to take those interviews and, and try and get that job in the long term, like I think it works out. Um, and I think it's just like, yeah, maintaining that positive, persistent attitude. Um, and I think with that mentality, like it will all work out if, if banking or private equity or whatever it is that you want to do. Um, yeah. And I think it's important to, to let people know that if you had not gotten a private equity offer, let's say you didn't get it. It's not like your life would have been over. No. <laughs> you probably could have found a really cool corp dev gig, corporate internet, you know, who knows? Sure. Um, and maybe you would love that, you know? Exactly. I, I think I put a lot more stress on myself to get the banking uh, gig coming out of college just because that's a very big step. Like it gets, you get that stamp on your resume. Yeah. It opens up a lot of doors. It does. It does. And so I was less stressed about that, but even with the banking, like if you're seriously considering doing investment banking, hopefully you have a good GPA. You've demonstrated that you're smart. You need to be somewhat sociable. Like let's just say it doesn't work out banking. Like there are so many other industries that are great learning, great, great training grounds, great mm -hmm. pay. And if you still really want to do banking or private equity or whatever it is in a couple of years, do that job, you go to grad school or you try and work banking and through another route. And it, it like, that's what you really want. It will eventually land. And it will eventually stick. It's just, again, like being persistent. Yeah, for sure. Well, man, thank you so much for taking the time. Uh, it's been a fun, fun chat longer than I expected, but I love it. Yeah, no, no, no problem. Yeah. It, well, it's been over an hour. hour yeah. And a half. Oh. <laughs> One <laughs> of the longer ones. For the technical difficulties, probably about no, no, Yeah, exactly. Well, listen, man, thanks so much. I appreciate it. Take care. Yeah, no, it's not. And thank you. And thanks to you, my listeners at Wall Street Oasis. If you have any suggestions whatsoever, please don't hesitate to send them my way, Patrick at wallstreetoasis.com. Until next time.